appreciate the ministry that we've had with them as well as their ministry to us. Uh, we continue with the theme of loving out loud and uh, some of you noticed in the newsletter as well in the bulletin, our next project concerning the love out loud, we're focusing on Barclay Downs and Linwood Estates and examining this neighborhood, we realize that many of our own members live there um, and that most of those members either have been widowed or are dealing with some physical uh, difficulty in their life. With that thought in mind, it uh, came to our team to think, well, why don't we just minister to them? Uh, let's find ways where we can help out at their yards and their, their homes, their houses, and uh, through that, minister to the neighborhood. And so what we've got is a plan is for Labor Day weekend to do a labor of love. Looking on that Saturday, uh, I know some of you may have plans uh, to go, but I, I would just present to you that perhaps the best uh, restoring thing you can do is not by doing nothing, but the restoring thing you can do is by serving someone and loving someone. And so we're going to take that Saturday. We're going to have a team of people that will go and advance and check out some of these homes that we've marked uh, as possibilities that we can help out um, and find some possibilities of projects of yard work or housework that we can do in a day's time. And uh, in fact, if you live in Barclay Downs or in Linwood Estates, uh, you perhaps got a phone call this past week, uh, if you, especially if you are widowed or you have some physical disabilities. We're going to ask if you would... Uh, stay just a little bit after service. And I want to talk with you and talk about what it might look like, why we want to help you, and why we think it uh, might be a help to you uh, to do that. And uh, while we are working in your yard, and, and what we need from you is we need some people, not just the Linwood Estates, Barclay Downs area, but we need some members who agree to be team captains, who will recruit a team of people, who will take an assignment that a supervising committee is going to give to them, uh, and communicate everything that's needed and help get that job done for the day. Uh, so we need probably about 11 to 12 more team captains uh, for that to happen. And so uh, if you would be willing to be a team captain, that would be wonderful. You can talk to me or to Mike or to contact the church office. Uh, we'd, we'd love to uh, know who you are and help uh, just get assign you a home. Uh, while we're doing that, we're going to ask the ladies. They're going to have a get-together with some of these ladies who are in these neighborhoods and uh, Ms. Harriet was giving me a good idea of, of looking around the theme of tasting apple desserts and apple themes and having a, a reason to get together as far as partaking in apple desserts, but also to share the testimonies, uh, for folks to share testimonies uh, to your neighbors and friends. And so we're really wanting to lean on you. If you live in those areas, Barclay Downs or Linwood Estates, we want to come in as a church and uh, equip you, help you, be a minister to your neighbor, uh, and we want to just put the strength of our church behind you in that. And so this is uh, what we're looking at doing in our, our next Love Out Loud activity. So it's right around the corner. We don't have a lot of time to ponder this, uh, but we have some time to do it. Uh, so we're just going to ask that you consider that. If you would like to be a team captain, please let us know. Uh, if you live in these areas, if you'll just take 15 minutes after church today, we want to talk to you about what this might look like. All right. If you'll turn your, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at, um, uh, I know the bulletin says the first 11 verses, but realistically it'll be the first 
three verses as we look at this. John, take note of that. We'll do part two next week and get through verse 11, or two weeks from now. We'll have communion after, the, uh, after this Sunday. Uh, so uh, we're going to look at this, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to really look at verse 39 and 40, and then chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Though there's a division break, when the writer was writing this, he didn't stop and put 12. This is one continuous thought here. Um, and, and help us to understand what it means to live by faith, um, what actions does it require of us. You know, it's fun having a two-year-old little boy in our home. Uh, it's, it's a lot of interesting moments and laughable moments. But one of the things that we've noticed as a theme every morning um, is our little two-year-old guy, he gets up out of bed and he's ready for battle. I mean, he's gathering everything that he needs uh, from the bed and he doesn't leave unless he has those things with him in their hands. And so right now that entails uh, as many soft, furry blankets as are in the bed, that's how many that he's going to be carrying. Right now it's one or two. Um, and so then he'll have a, uh, a, a doubled uh, axe, double-bladed axe foam um, that he'll carry with him. And he'll carry his soldier sword, again, foam. And uh, then he'll look for a cup um, that he's going to carry with him. And so he'll come down out of his room with his hands full, blankets overflowing, holding his foam weapons and a cup. And uh, if he was fighting foam enemies, he's ready to go. I mean, just watch out. First foam obstacle comes his way, he's taking it down. Um, and so that's his, his day. He comes with all this stuff that he thinks he's going to use, and, and probably like within the first five minutes of him coming downstairs, all that stuff's discarded, and he's going for his chocolate milk. Um, you know, I, I think uh, just like he does this every day, and I think, well, you know, he's not going to learn. He's just going to keep doing this. But I realize we kind of have the same mentality. We like to gather up all these things in our life, there are our blankets, if you will, our, our comforts, uh, our weapons, the things that will, we think will make a difference in our life. And we gather them up and we're afraid to let them go. Uh, but the problem is, is that these things that we gather, when we read the Word of God, says they have as much use in living life as foam weapons. Uh, it's just stuff that we've attached ourselves. And when it comes time to really living life, the car doesn't really matter. When it comes to living life, the closet of attire doesn't really matter. When it comes to living life, having the reputation, the prestige, and the bank accounts, and all these things, when we read Scripture, it says, oh, you know what? It's not really needed when it's all said and done. It's just stuff we like to carry around with us to make us feel better. And so, with that thought of mind, I want to go to chapter 12 and see what is it that's required of life. If we're going to be men and women of faith, what do we need to be doing? Hebrews 11 is called the Great Hall of Faith. And um, in chapter 1, it defines faith for us. And uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 defines faith. And from that, we learn that it is to understand that there is a not yet out there. And if we're going to be men and women of faith, we're living, we're compelled, not by the present, not by the past, but by the not yet. That's the driving force, is what yet has happened with God. To be men and women of faith is to believe that there's things that are unseen. There are, there's invisible forces at work. And in fact, it is to believe that the invisible forces, God, is working in the visible. 
It is in control. It trumps over the things that we see. So consequently, we let God color our life. We let God color the pages of our life. That when things come in our life that we may not like or we may like, we just say, you know what, God, let me look at this from your perspective. Let me look at this from your point of view, and I'm going to allow you, God, to put into my life any shade you want because I believe that you exist. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, if you have this mentality, uh, it's going to be pleasing to God. You want to know how to please God? Have faith. It says in Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it is impossible to please God because uh, he that comes to God must believe, one, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, you claim to be a man of faith. You claim to be a woman of faith. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you have a Bible. It's not because you read the Bible. It's not because you have some moral code. It's not even because that you believe that there is a God. You want to be a man or woman of faith? It's because you diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. And if you're not diligently seek him, you're not being a person of faith. We want so badly to have a, a third category of living. One category is the extreme folks. Those are the folks that, you know, they're just a little fanatical, maybe a little off balance in following Jesus. And then there's this, this other group that they could care less about God and could care less about the things of Christ. But we want that third group to be that one that acknowledges God, acknowledges Jesus Christ, and, and that we allow Jesus to have some semblance of our life, so maybe some semblance of our ide- identity, but we don't really have to pursue him. We don't really have to seek hard after Christ. And that's, that's the world we want to live in. The mediocre, just, yeah, Christ is there, but I'm not seeking after him. The problem with that is the Bible. Jesus, and the Hebrew of authors, uh, the author of Hebrews, uh, states, if you're not seeking God, you're not of faith. And so, in Hebrews 2, he says, be careful. Watch out for unbelief. Because what is at stake is your eternal destiny. You see, heaven is not just for people who are afraid of hell. That's not what makes up heaven. Heaven is for people who love Jesus, who seek after him. And we have this mindset, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to go to heaven. And I don't want to go to hell, so I want Christ as my Savior. And and so some point in their life, they just embrace him as their Savior, pray a prayer, go walk the aisle, get baptized, join a church, and then they forget about Him consequently and live their life, Jesus, as just something in their past, as a side hobby. And then all of a sudden they're, they're wondering when they die, am I going to be right with God? Am I right with Him? And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It's those who seek after Him. It's those who seek after Him. So I, I preach Hebrews 11, I preach Hebrews 12 with my eternal life at stake, with your eternal life at stake to understand we can't be lethargic about this. We want to we be men and women of faith. It means that we seek after Christ. So let's look at this. Hebrews 11 verse 39 and we'll read there and go to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. So let's stand as we read together this being God's word. Uh, you'll read silently as I read aloud to you. And all these, though commended to their faith, did not receive what was promised. He's referring to all the previous people he mentioned in Hebrews 11. 
says, God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You may be seated. So in our walk with faith, our run with faith, the main point and what we just read is that little phrase, let us run. Let us run the race. Let us not meander through life. Let us not wonder what life is about. But let us have a goal and let us diligently pursue the overarching goal of our life, running the race God set for us. Really what he's saying is stay in faith with Christ Stay seeking him. Do it diligently. Vance Habner, in describing in Hebrews 11, says that these people see the invisible, choose the imperishable, and do the impossible. And that is really what's at stake here, is that we see God at work, and we choose that which will not die, God and his kingdom. And then consequently, God takes us to some amazing places, impossible situations. And so the motivation is found when it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the motivation is the witnesses before us. Now, we read this passage, and you may have heard this, or you may have thought this, like, oh, that means that um, my granddad, who I love so much and loves me so much, he's died, and he's gone to heaven, and with grandma, and with mom, and with dad, and all these folks who have gone before us, they're all kind of like they're peering out and they're they're pulling the clouds behind and they're looking over and watching there's my grandson let's watch how he walks and let's watch how he stays faithful to god now that's a good image it's it's one that is encouraging it's just not found here that's not what this text is saying um, i'm not sure if that's happening or not uh, the bible doesn't say whether or not those who've died past are seeing what's going on now we just We'll have to wonder that. But what this is talking about, looking into these witnesses, is all these people he's mentioned just just a few verses before. He's mentioning Abraham, Abel, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, uh, Joshua, and he goes to the judges and Samson and and all these Gideon and all these men and and then the prophets and uh, Samuel and Elijah uh, and Isaiah. And he's mentioning all these people and he said, the common theme is they sought God. And they sought God even if it meant laying aside present comforts. They laid it aside because they lived for a future reward in Christ. But though they lived for that, they got a taste, but they didn't see it all. That's what it says. That they didn't see it all. And so God's got a plan that we read here in Hebrews 11, verse 40, that we can be in the same category. We can say... There's Abraham, and Moses, and there's Dick, and there's Isaiah, and there's Jack, and there's David, (laughs) and Chad, and Laura, and we're all in the same category. Man, wow, I can be lumped with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yes. According to Hebrews 11.40, God is lumping you with them, and what lumps you together with them? It's that you are seeking God. You seek him more than anything else. That's faith. 
faith. So we're in the same category as them. And so because of all these things, because history is waiting to be fulfilled, that God has put them on hold until the last follower of Christ lives his life in faith and ends it in faith. Until everybody crosses the finish line, it's all on hold until we can see what God has prophesied throughout time, the final fulfillment of God's presence on this earth. And so, with that thought in mind, we're going to do something. Notice what it says in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight. So if we're going to be men and women of faith, here's what we're going to do. We're going to evaluate and prioritize our lifestyle for seeking God. That's our goal. We're going to evaluate all that we're dealing with, what our life is, is about right now, the things that occupy our mind, our activities. And we're going to prioritize it around this one thing, seeking God. Seeking God. Um, so how do we do this? Well, first he says, let us lay aside every weight. Now, notice that he says, lay aside every weight and sin. So he's not talking about sin. He's talking about something in addition to sin. He's talking about something that may hinder or encumbrance is the word here. Uh, your run, your focus on seeking God. Now, I, uh, I ran track for a short little while until I injured my knee, thankfully. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, when you start your, your practices, they give you nice, modest apparel like sweatpants and uh, T-shirts and sweatshirts. And, and uh, you know, you're running in the wintertime. It's like, yeah, this is good. And then it came time for our first track meet. And they give you your uniform, and they give it to you, and you're like, okay, where's the next bit? There needs to be more here than just what you've given to me. No, they have you wearing the shorts like you hadn't seen since the 1970s, you know? Uh, Like, you know, couldn't you guys update your budget a little bit here and give me something at least covers a little bit more, you know? And so these these tight, tight shorts that are just barely covering you. And then they give you the shirt. And uh, the shirt, you know, it's kind of a t- tank top deal, no sleeves. And then it's like they ran out of fabric and they put netting uh, on the bottom, you know. It's just like it's got holes all in it. It's like, come on, guys, where's the whole shirt, you know. And I know like, we wanted, we were doing this by design. We want you to wear this because it's very light. It's not wind resistant. It won't weigh you down. They give you these shoes that are very uh, light, very thin, that has spikes on it, and they're good for nothing unless you're uh, running track. But I have found them useful in aerating my lawn since then. Uh, but nonetheless, um, that's what <laughs> a non-track person does with track stuff. But, uh, but, uh, but this is your outfit. And you're sitting there thinking, oh my, you know, I'm in front of everybody like this. And I thought, it's a good thing that I live today and not in the Olympic era when they wore nothing. So I was very thankful for uh, the closing I did have. But, but that's, that's running. That's what they would do. And the whole, because the goal is not to look good. That's not your goal when you're in a track meet. It's not to see how you look. And the goal is not necessarily to cover up your body. Uh, I found that out. The goal is to run. And to run faster than anyone else. To get to the goal line before anyone else. Because that is your goal. You put fashion aside. You even put modesty aside. And you're just focused on that one thing. So when he says here, let's run the race. Do so by laying aside every weight. Laying aside those things that keep you from seeking after God. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about things that could be good things. The question... It's not, is it sin? The question, does it help me follow after Christ? Um, 
Uh, you know, in teenage years, um, you're growing up, you've been taught Christ, especially if you grew up in the church. You're taught this is what it means to follow the Lord. But yet you see your peers, and it looks like they're having more fun. And you get a lot of pressure thinking you've got to act like them. And so the, the idea is, how can I do what my peers are doing, yet still look like I'm following God? I, I still bear the marks of being a Christian. And so the question you start asking yourself is, is that sin? If it's not sin, I'm doing it. But if you can clearly prove to me that it's sin, then I'll just draw the line there. Um, I had someone come up to me in their situation of living together and wanted me to help them in marriage. And I said, well, look, you know, here's the problem right here. One of the things that you're going to have to change. And, the, and their attitude was like, well, can you prove to me it's sin? I thought, well, can you prove to me that it's following after Christ? Uh, here's the problem, is that, is that we want to find the line, and we just want to camp there. What's the line between sin and righteousness? Well, let me just hang out there. The, it betrays that we're not seeking after God. It tells us instead that we're just seeking after ourselves, and we want to look like we're following after God. You know what it's called? That's called hypocrisy betrays the fact that we're not seeking after him. And so when we read this, let us lay aside every way. Let's run our race wanting to seek after Christ. And the idea is, what in my life helps me follow after him? Is there things that may be good things, but because I do it so much, it robs my mind, my heart, my spirit after following him. So there could be some things that it could be movies, it could be books, it could be activities, it could be a relationship, it could be computer games, uh, it could be Facebook, uh, it could be things regarding your job, it could be exercise, it could be any number of things that inner stuff may not be bad, but because it robs your heart from seeking after God, yeah, yeah, it's ruining it for you. Because your goal isn't necessarily spend as much time on the computer, your goal isn't as much spending as much time exercising, and that's not what your life is about, and, and the various things that we might do. The goal is to seek after Him, to live for Him, and run after Him. Galatians 5, 6, and 7, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In other words, he says even religious ceremony can get in the way of seeking after Christ. Do you understand that? You can be so caught up in being religious that you don't seek Christ. Then it becomes a bad thing. And it says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. Faith. What is that faith? It is it's a belief that God is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so you're seeking him and you're working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now what else do we do? Well, if we're going to evaluate our life and prioritize our lifestyle for seeking after God, it means, and I think that really we probably need to take some time this afternoon, this evening, or whenever you can Carve out some time and examine what do you do? How do you spend your life? And what's the effect of it in your heart? Is it producing a heart that's hunger, hungry for God? Or does it take you away from seeking after Christ? And then the other thing is, is laying aside the sin which clings so closely. Now in some of your translations it has the word the sin, referring to the singular act. Um, so if, if it is indeed referring to a singular sin, 
What do you think that singular sin is when we're looking at the book of Hebrews as a whole? Well, he has said over and over and over again, fear, unbelief. Fear, unbelief. It could very well be that if he's referring to a singular sin, that the singular sin in question is not believing God. In fact, we've learned in Hebrews that disobedience is interchangeable with unbelief. When we sin, it's at the root because we don't believe God about something. And so, lay aside this unbelief, this sin, notice which clings so closely. You see, when you, when you are living your life with sin and filled with activities that makes your mind devoid and absent of God and thinking about Him, you become disoriented. In fact, you become confused. And things that you once thought were right now become wrong. And the things that you once thought were wrong now become right. We have a, um, my, my in-laws have a, a timeshare at North Myrtle, and we go there from time to time. And there's this back room, uh, bedroom, that has one window, which gives you a beautiful view of the concrete wall right next to it. And, and so most of the time we don't want that, so we just close the, the shades. But you go in there, and you're trying to take a nap after lunch, which sometimes I do, um, and you wake up, and you thinking, you're thinking, oh my, I've slept through the entire afternoon. It is now one in the morning, and there's not one light out, and I am, I'm just going to stay in bed. I mean, you could, lay, you could sleep your day away because you have no idea of the sun. I mean, the sun is high in the sky, but because you have no open window, it might as well be down. Listen. When you don't have in your mind an awareness that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, you can no longer see life correctly. You can no longer see it right. You need a window that takes you to the sun to help you to see life correctly with perspective. Is it any wonder when folks see a follower of Christ, they think, man, they're just messed up. Man, they're different. The, the thing is that they don't see the sun and they can't see life right. And you don't make any sense to them. And so, watch for the sin of unbelief because it clings to you. It is so easy to go and look at life absent from God's presence and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In fact, um, there's an interesting story of a, a lady, Isadora Duncan, uh, who was very popular in the early 20th century. She was a, a dancer, um, revolutions to some degree, ballet and dance, um, especially in the New York scene. And uh, Her life was not worth imitating, um, and the values that she had were, were, were very uh, anti-Christ. Um, but one of the interesting things that happened, um, never heard of this happening until I was reading about her, she had a fondness for flowing scarves. Um, and evidently not like the scarves that you see today, but flowing scarves. In fact, um, it's how she died. <laughs> I think, wow, died with flowing scarves. She had a, uh, a hand-painted silk scarf from a, a Russian artist. Um, 
And when she was 50, she, she got in this vehicle. This is a 1927, so you can imagine the type of vehicle uh, that you've got. Um, and she gets in there with her scarf flowing, and it catches on the spokes of a tire, jerks her out, and breaks her neck. From this statement, or from this incident, as the statement was made, affectations can be dangerous. We need to understand those little things that we think are no big deal, that just gives us a little bit more pleasure in our day, just makes it a little bit more so we can make it through our day. And we think, well, that, what harm? You need to understand that underneath it is a lack of belief about God, of trusting in Him, and it can be and will be immortally dangerous or, or eternally dangerous to your heart. Richard Baxter, a Puritan, uh, wrote, It is a most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing. And that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed knowing that God has set mankind in such a race where heaven or hell is their certain end that they should sit down and loiter or run after the childish toys of the world forgetting the prize they should run for were it but possible for one of us to see this business as the all-seeing God does and see what most men and women in the world are interested in, what they are doing every day. It would be the saddest sight imaginable. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament their self-delusion if God had never told them what they were sent in the world to do or what was before them in another world, then they would have been some excuse. But it is his sealed word, and they profess to believe it. They live for things that are so much less than God, seeking after the baubles of our life. And so he says, let us run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before. So what do we do? That means we seek God throughout our life. The race set before us has the understanding, the idea that each race is different. Your life is custom made. It's been brought to you by God. Now, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hardship. There's going to be um, obstacles for every person. But in every situation, faith can let you live through it. Faith can let you live through it with a purpose, a joy, a satisfaction. For some of us, the race set before us may be to watch your wife suffer in pain and not be able to do anything about it. For others of us, it may be to see your children as they're having to go through an unimaginable surgery. That's the race set before you. For others, it may be to live a good old life and at the end, watch your spouse as their brain deteriorates and having to care for them. For those others, it would be perhaps maybe to leave this land, this country, and to make new stakes, new life in another location, another place with the goal of seeking Christ. It may be to be mocked, to be persecuted, or it may be to that you've got so many stuff and materials around you, that's a hard thing to figure out what to live for because there's so many beautiful things around you. But in every life, there's a race set before you, and the goal is the same, to seek after Christ. To do so at every stage of your life. To understand that as a child to seek after God means to live my life, my future, and understand that I'm preparing myself for 
seeking God. As a teenager, as a, as a student, to understand that in all the things that people may be living for, to understand that living my life seeking God is worthwhile, regardless of how uncool it may seem. To be, as a young career person, understand that all the things that I could live for, that it all is, is uh, under the goal of seeking after God. As in your career, to say that in everything that may come my way, that I will seek God in my career. That as you raise your family, as you deal with your house, to understand that I'm seeking God in the cleaning of my house, that I'm seeking God in the raising of my children. That as you retire, you retire, that you're retiring from a profession and career, but you do not retire from seeking God. And then when it comes time to dying, guess what? Dying doesn't ruin you either. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it carries you from one to the end to the another. Instead, we'd say, well, when it comes time to dying, then yeah, I'll seek God then. Friends, you need to understand that he's worth seeking God in death. He's worth seeking God in life. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Do you not know that in a race that all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So we seek God throughout our life. Verse 2, we seek God. By constantly seeking Christ. The first motivation were those who've gone before us and how they live life. And they said, God, see, God can do this. He's faithful to his promises. He will do the impossible. But then when we come to verse 2, we see another motivation is the looking unto Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. You know what that tells me? We look, we're looking unto Jesus because he's the source of the gospel. We're, how do we get the strength? How do we get the ability to say no to the things and passing pleasures of this world? It's by looking to Christ who gives us the strength, the grace, and the heart change to look to him. It is the thing of grace. He is the source of it. He is the finisher of it. I remember when I was running my, my race, my first track meet, um, the 400, and it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I was um, coming around the, uh, the back end and final stretch, and, um, and I, I see the coach... Uh, he's right there um, at the finish line. We make eye contact, you know. Um, and he's not like, run, run, you know. He's not a boy. No, it's it's like a guttural scream, a red face. Run! I'm so, I mean, it's just like he scared me. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, I've got to deal with him tomorrow, and he's gonna he's gonna set the agenda for me. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, just like adrenaline. Shaved off a second or two off my time, you know. Um, it's just, as we're running our race, we're looking to Jesus who does so much more than a coach could ever do. Because he doesn't just chant and scream. He says, my life, my blood is being poured out. Through it goes the grace of God. Let the grace of God sustain you, direct you, change your heart. It is everything. It is the wings beneath you. Look to Him, the founder, perfecter of our faith. Notice, not just because He is the resource, but because He is the example who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Him went to the cross, dealt with the mocking and the shame. What was the joy set before Christ? What was the joy? Well, you know... 
he was going to face the wrath of God at the cross. It was that cup. He says, God, let this cup be removed. There's any other way. He wasn't looking forward for the first time. And the only time in eternity, he wasn't looking for the face of God because it was a, a wrathful thing. And, and instead, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that. But it was in the obedience to God that justice would be set, that forgiveness would be enabled, and that someday a Chad, a Harvey, uh, a Tony, a Jackie would understand that there is grace given now, there's forgiveness given now, and if I would trust in Jesus Christ, that God can change me from the inside out, and they would be changed into the sons and daughters of glory. <laughs> Jesus said, for the joy set before me, I'll endure it. I'll deal and despise the shame. And God will place me at the right hand on His throne. The joy of seeing sons, daughters to glory. Amazing. He went to the cross and the reward was you. The reward was you. Considering Jesus, who did these things, endured these things, And you were the reward. So let Him be your reward. Consider, look to Him. And consider His example. The road, the race that He sets before you will be difficult, but do you know that Jesus has already gone on that race before you? He has already walked the path that He's asking you to walk. Look to Him. Consider Him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Thing is, when you get weary and faint-hearted, you stop caring. You just stop caring about things of God. You become indifferent. What is the solution to indifferent, hard-hearted souls? What is the solution for weary, faint-hearted obedience and faith? Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Let's pray.